section thirty four of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly Crake chapter four part ten literature and learning in the fifteenth century universities a few facts which are important rather as forming epochs in the chronology of our subject and for the results by which they were followed than in themselves constitute the main part of the history of learning and literature in england during the fifteenth century the actual contributions of this age to our national literature are smaller in amount and value than those of any preceding space of time of the same length since the norman conquest the ferment of studious enthusiasm which had been excited in men's minds in the beginning of the preceding century had in a great measure spent itself before the beginning of this according to an oration delivered before the pope and cardinals by richard fitzralph archbishop of armagh in thirteen fifty seven the thirty thousand students of the university of oxford had even by that time decreased to about six thousand the popular veneration for learning had also from various causes undergone a corresponding decline and instead of the honours formerly paid by all classes to talent and scholarship and the crowding of eager multitudes around every eminent doctor wherever he appeared we perceive now the aspect of a general indifference and encounter occasional instances of the votaries of science and letters begging their bread and of their unappreciated acquirements being turned into matter of ridicule and mockery by the insolence of rank and wealth anthony wood the quaint historian of the university of oxford relates a story of two itinerating students of this age who having one day presented themselves at a baronial castle and sought an introduction by the exhibition of their academical credentials in which they were each described as gifted among other accomplishments with a poetical vein were ordered by the baron to be suspended in a pair of buckets over a draw-well and dipped alternately into the water until each should produce a couplet on his awkward situation it was not till after a considerable number of duckings that the unfortunate captives finished the rhymes while their involuntary ascents and descents during the process of concoction were heartily enjoyed by the baron and his company it would be unfair indeed to judge of the general state of things from one or two anecdotes of this kind although such consequences are only what might be expected when scholars took to perambulating the country as mendicants with recommendations to the charity of the benevolent by the chancellors of their universities as we are assured was now become customary but the circumstances of our own country at least in this age must have proved in no small degree depressing to all liberal pursuits although much of the popular effervescence had evaporated however the love of knowledge was still alive 
and active in many of the more select order of mines prompting them to zealous exertions both in its acquisition and its diffusion in the course of the fifteenth century very nearly forty new universities were founded in the different countries of europe in our own several new colleges were added both to oxford and cambridge in the former university lincoln college was founded in fourteen thirty by richard fleming bishop of lincoln though only completed about fourteen seventy five by his successor thomas rotherham all souls was founded in fourteen thirty seven by chickley archbishop of canterbury with the design of providing a perpetual service of prayers and masses for the souls of all the faithful departed and especially of those who had fallen or should fall in the french wars and maudlin which soon became one of the wealthiest academical establishments in europe was founded by william patton or de wayne fleet bishop of winchester and lord chancellor of england who began the erection of the fabric in fourteen fifty eight and lived to witness its completion in fourteen seventy nine cambridge received the additions of king's college founded in fourteen forty one on a scale of great liberality and magnificence by henry the sixth who established about the same time the celebrated school of eton to be a nursery for his college of queen's college founded in fourteen forty six by henry's consort margaret of anjou and of catherine hall founded in fourteen seventy five by robert woodlark the third provost of king's college extensive public buildings which came to be known by the name of the new schools were also erected at oxford in fourteen thirty nine by thomas hoken norton abbot of osney for the delivery of lectures in metaphysics natural philosophy moral philosophy astronomy geometry music arithmetic logic rhetoric and grammar the foundation of a divinity school and of a public library was laid in the same university about fourteen twenty seven and although the building was often interrupted it was at length through the liberal donations of humphrey duke of gloucester cardinal john kemp archbishop of york his nephew thomas kemp bishop of london and other benefactors completed in fourteen eighty when it formed the most magnificent structure of which the university yet had to boast the building of public schools was also begun at cambridge in fourteen forty three at the expense of the university and finished by the aid of various contributors about fourteen seventy five more interesting however than these extensions of former establishments is the founding of a temple to learning in a part of the island in which no permanent abode had ever before been built for her the first of the scottish universities that of st andrews rose a few years after the commencement of the fifteenth century out of the scheme of a few men of letters in that city who probably on the suggestion of the bishop henry wardlaw formed themselves into an association for giving instruction in the sciences then usually taught in universities to all who chose to attend their lectures and are supposed to have begun teaching about the year fourteen ten their names as recorded by the father of scottish history and eminently worthy to be preserved were lawrence lindores who undertook to explain the fourth book of the master of the sentences richard cornell archdeacon of lothian john lister canon of st andrews john chevis 
official of st andrews and william stephen who lectured on the civil and canon laws and john gill william fowler and william crozier who taught logic and philosophy the institution with this apparatus of professors was already in everything but in form a university and such it is styled in the charter or grant of privileges which wardlaw hastened to bestow upon it in that instrument which is dated the twenty seventh of february fourteen eleven the bishop speaks of the university as having been already actually instituted and founded by himself saving the authority of the apostolic see and laudably begun by those to whom he addresses himself the venerable doctors masters bachelors and scholars dwelling in his city of st andrews he now proceeded more formally to endow the new seminary in so far as his jurisdiction extended with all the rights and liberties of a university two years afterwards bulls of confirmation etc in the usual terms were obtained from benedict the thirteenth the one of the three contending popes who was acknowledged by the kingdom of scotland benedict's bulls are six in number all dated the same day the twenty fifth of august fourteen thirteen at panascola in aragon where that pope kept his court they professed to be granted at the request of the scottish king though james i was then a prisoner in england and of the bishop prior and chapter of st andrews whose project of establishing a university or studium generala in that city is expressly stated to have been formed with the council consent and common participation of the three estates of the realm of scotland the bishop and his associates it is declared had been stirred up to the undertaking by the consideration of the many dangers and inconveniences to which the clergy of that kingdom who desired to be instructed in theology the canon and civil laws medicine and the liberal arts were exposed from wars and other impediments in their journeys to foreign studia generalia in consequence of there being no such institution to which they might resort in their own country the several papal bulls were brought to st andrews by henry de ogilby m a on the third of february fourteen fourteen when they were received with processions and ringing of bells and every demonstration of public joy when king james returned ten years after this from england he found the new seminary already firmly established and still flourishing under the protection of its founder wardlaw who had also been the instructor of his own boyhood james granted it a charter confirming all its privileges and immunities dated at perth the thirty first of march fourteen thirty two and if we may believe the historian hector Bicius, it flourished so greatly under his patronage that it soon came to have among its teachers no fewer than thirteen doctors of divinity and eight doctors of laws as well as a prodigious multitude of students the good and enlightened bishop wardlaw presided over the see of st andrews till the year fourteen forty four when the university found in james kennedy a worthy successor to his virtues and public spirit as well as to his place as yet the institution was little more than an incorporated association without any permanent endowments and with scarcely any buildings except a few public lecturing rooms it was a university therefore but as yet without a college his first college that of st salvatore was built and endowed by kennedy whose original foundation charter was confirmed in a bull no longer extant by pope nicholas v who died in fourteen fifty five 
a second charter was granted by kennedy at his castle of st andrews on the fourth of april fourteen fifty eight and confirmed by pope pius the second in a bull dated at rome the thirteenth of september in the same year in this the whole scheme of the establishment is minutely detailed and a complete body of rules laid down for its government one of the bishop's ordinances is curiously illustrative of the easy morality of the time having given some solemn directions as to the hours at which masses were to be said in all time coming by the members of the college who were all to be clergymen he proceeds to enjoin that all the members of the said college should live decently as become ecclesiastics so as not it is added to keep concubines publicly nor to be common night-walkers or robbers or habitually guilty of other notorious crimes and if any of them is so which it is earnestly hoped may not be the case let him be corrected by his superior if he prove incorrigible let him be deprived and another put in his place by another bull dated the twenty fifth of february fourteen sixty eight pope paul the second granted to the principal and masters of the college of st salvator the right of bestowing degrees in theology and the arts in consideration as it is expressed of its high and well-known reputation among the other colleges of the realm of scotland the other colleges here spoken of could be nothing more than grammar schools but the passage proves what indeed is well established by other evidence that such schools already existed in many of the monasteries and principal towns it was at these that the scottish youth were prepared for their attendance upon foreign universities another of the scottish universities that of glasgow was also founded within this same century the bull of foundation was granted at the request of james the second in fourteen fifty by nicholas v who was distinguished by his talents in erudition and particularly by his munificent patronage of grecian literature other royal and episcopal charters were subsequently granted by king james the second twentieth april fourteen fifty three by bishop turnbull first december fourteen fifty three by bishop muirhead first july fourteen sixty one and by king james the third tenth december fourteen seventy two but in none of the papal royal or episcopal letters of privilege of a date prior to the reformation observes the writer of the able and elaborate account of the university of glasgow appended to the general report of the late commission of inquiry into the state of the universities of scotland is there any distinct trace of the constitution of the university and it can scarcely be said that any of these documents refer to the existence of a college or to the possession of any property it does not appear that it was the intention of the founder of the university that the members should live collegialitaire maintained at a public table and resident within the walls of a separate building universities might be established and some still exist on the continent without having even classrooms for the students the university of paris subsisted in great efficiency from the age of charlemagne to the middle of the thirteenth century a period of nearly five hundred years without having any schools or places of auditory except such as were hired in the houses of individuals during the first twenty years after the foundation of the university of st andrews great inconvenience was suffered not merely from the want of such rooms but from the multiplicity of schools in the different religious houses all of them claiming to be considered as constituent parts of the university and even after a pedagogium 
was founded in fourteen thirty for the schools and halls of the faculty of arts and for chambers to be used by the students in that faculty the studies of the faculties of theology and law were conducted in other buildings and the congregations of the university continued for at least one hundred and thirty years to be held in the augustinian priory a piece of ground however with the buildings upon it in the high street of the city was granted to the university of glasgow by james the first lord hamilton in fourteen sixty being the site on which the college stands at the present day revival of letters invention of printing dark and unproductive as was the greater part of the fifteenth century in england and france the revival of letters in the western world dates from this age for a considerable time before the capture of constantinople by the turks in fourteen fifty three the course of political events in the eastern empire had led to a more frequent intercourse than heretofore between its subjects and their fellow-christians of the west and had not only drawn some of the most distinguished ornaments of the byzantine court including three of the emperors themselves to visit the latin kingdoms but had induced several learned greeks to come over and settle in italy in their lowest servitude and depression as gibbon has said in one of his well-poised sentences the subjects of the byzantine throne were still possessed of a golden key that could unlock the treasures of antiquity of a musical and prolific language that gives a soul to the objects of sense and a body to the abstractions of philosophy it cannot perhaps be said that the knowledge of the greek tongue was ever entirely lost in western europe there were probably in every age a few scholars who had more than a merely elementary acquaintance with it it is certain however that it was not a common study even among the most learned the most eminent universities such as bologna paris and oxford were without any regular professor of greek even the few who did read the language seemed to have read only the writings in it on science and philosophy wharton has shown that both the iliad and the odyssey were apparently wholly unknown or at least not understood in europe from the fourth to the fourteenth century the renewed intercourse that has been mentioned between the east and the west beginning in the early part of the latter century rapidly effected a great revolution in this respect petrarch about the year thirteen forty began the study of the language of homer under the instructions of the learned barlaam who had come to italy as ambassador from andronicus the younger and although the separation of the two friends soon after stopped the tuscan at the threshold of the new literature his friend boccaccio twenty years later was more fortunate in obtaining the assistance of leontius pilatus a disciple of barlaam and under his guidance penetrated to its inner glories at a still later date the destruction of their ancient empire drove a crowd of illustrious greek exiles to italy the cardinal basarion theodore gaza george of trebizond john r garopolis demetrius chalcondylis donus lascaris and others some of whom taught their native language in the universities and chief towns of that country while the rest by their translations by their writings and their converse with the public mind in various ways assisted in diffusing a taste for it and a knowledge of it even beyond the alps nor as gibbon has remarked was the ardour of the latins in receiving and treasuring up this new knowledge inferior to that of their greek guests in imparting it the merits of pope nicholas v in the patronage of greek literature have been already noticed during the eight years that he wore the tiara from fourteen forty seven to fourteen fifty five this active and liberal head of the christian church added five thousand volumes 
to the library of the vatican many of these were greek books or translations of them into latin to his munificence continues the great historian the latin world was indebted for the versions of xenophon diodorus polybius thucydides herodotus and apian of strabo's geography of the iliad of the most valuable works of plato and aristotle of ptolemy and theophrastus and of the fathers of the greek church the example of the roman pontiff was preceded or imitated by a florentine merchant who governed the republic without arms and without a title cosmo of medicis was the father of a line of princes whose name and age are almost synonymous with the restoration of learning his credit was ennobled into fame his riches were dedicated to the service of mankind he corresponded at once with cairo and london and a cargo of indian spices and greek books was often imported in the same vessel in his palace distress was entitled to relief and merit to reward his leisure hours were delightfully spent in the platonic academy he encouraged the emulation of demetrius calconodiles and angelo politian and his active missionary janus lascaris returned from the east with a treasure of two hundred manuscripts fourscore of which were as yet unknown in the libraries of europe gibbon adds that after a short succession of foreign teachers the tide of emigration subsided but the language of constantinople was spread beyond the alps and the natives of france germany and england imparted to their country the sacred fire which they had kindled in the schools of florence and rome although however it has been necessary for the sake of chronological distinctness to notice the revival of learning in europe in this place the light of that great day-spring scarcely reached our own country within the period with which we are now occupied the greek language did not begin to be taught at oxford till towards the very close of the fifteenth century the case was different with regard to the other most memorable incident in the history of literature which illustrates the age of which we are now treating the three towns of harlem in holland and of mayence and strasburg in germany contend for the honour of having given birth shortly before the middle of this century to the art of printing the claim of harlem rests upon a tradition that one of its citizens lawrence or laurent Yansun coster had without assistance or communication with any other individual not only invented the art but brought it to perfection through the successive stages of wooden types types of cut metal and types cast in the modern fashion before the year fourteen forty one in which year one of his servants named john whom some suppose to have been john faust made his escape to mayence carrying with him both the secret and a quantity of coster's types and implements with which he began to print in the last-mentioned city in the following year among those who reject this story there is little disagreement as to the persons to whom several parts of the invention are to be attributed the principal dispute is whether the art was first practised at mayence or at strasburg the supporters of the pretensions of coster of harlem we have said assert his claims to the invention both of the art of printing and of the art of type founding these are properly to be considered as two perfectly distinct inventions and though coming the one in aid of the other the latter was nearly as great an improvement upon the former as the notion of printing with movable types was upon the process long previously practised in china of producing impressions from blocks of wood and other materials the principle of the one consisted in making the same type available in the production of many different words and pages the principle of the other consisted in making one cutting serve for the production of many copies of the same type they proceeded in fact in opposite directions the object of the former was attained by the contrivance of separate types by the breaking down of the one block into many pieces the latter was suggested by viewing the different types of each letter as essentially the same that is to say by bringing together as it were the many into one 
the germans agree in venerating three names as those of the fathers of the whole art of printing john gutenberg or gutenberger peter scheffer otherwise called opilio and john faust the share which faust had in the matter is involved in some obscurity according to one account he merely interested himself warmly in the invention and being wealthy assisted gutenberg who was poor with the means of carrying on his operations it is admitted that the grand fundamental conception of printing with separate or movable types is due to gutenberg alone and to scheffer is attributed with equal unanimity the invention of casting types of metal by means of a matrix for this happy improvement without which indeed printing with movable types would have been checked in its natural development like an animal or a plant left without adequate nourishment scheffer who was at the time in the service of gutenberg and faust is said to have received from the latter his only daughter in marriage the first servants of this high mystery however were not of the class of ordinary workmen the fabrication of books which even in its most mechanical forms had hitherto always been an employment of an intellectual nature was not now committed to persons without any literary education scheffer had studied in his youth at the university of paris and his scholarly acquirements had no doubt in the first instance recommended him to gutenberg as a fit assistance in his scholarly craft printing in england caxton the art of printing had been practised nearly thirty years in germany before it was introduced either into england or france with so tardy a pace did knowledge travel to and fro over the earth in those days or so unfavourable was the state of these countries for the reception of even the greatest improvements in the arts at length a citizen of london secured a conspicuous place to his name however in the annals of our national literature by being so far as is known the first of his countrymen that learned the new art and certainly the first who either practised it in england or in printing an english book william caxton was born as he tells us himself in the weald of kent it is supposed about the year fourteen twelve thirty years after this date his name was found among the members of the mercer's company in london later in life he appears to have repeatedly visited the low countries at first probably on business of his own but afterwards in a sort of public capacity having in fourteen sixty four been commissioned along with another person apparently also a merchant by edward the fourth to negotiate a commercial treaty with the duke of burgundy he was afterwards taken into the household of margaret duchess of burgundy it was probably while resident abroad in the low countries or in germany that he commenced practising the art of printing he is commonly supposed to have completed before the end of the year fourteen seventy one impressions of raoul le fevre's recueil des histoires de Troyes in folio and of the latin oration of john russell on charles duke of burgundy being created a knight of the garter in quarto and of an english translation by himself of le fevre's above-mentioned history in folio which said translation and work says the title was begun in bruges in fourteen sixty eight and ended in the holy city of colon nineteen september fourteen seventy one but these words undoubtedly refer only to the translation and sufficient reasons have lately been advanced by mr knight for entertaining the strongest doubts of any one of the above-mentioned books having been printed by caxton the earliest work now known which we have sufficient grounds for believing to have been printed by caxton is another english translation by himself from the french of a moral treatise entitled the game and play of the chess a folio volume which is stated to have been finished the last day of march fourteen seventy four it is generally supposed that this work was printed in england and the year fourteen seventy four accordingly is assumed to have been that of the introduction of the art into this country it is certainly known that caxton was resident in england in fourteen seventy seven and had set up his press in the almonry near westminster abbey where he printed that year in folio the dicks and notable wise sayings of the philosophers translated from the french by anthony woodville 
earl rivers from this time caxton continued both to print and translate with indefatigable industry for about a dozen years his last publication with a date having been produced in fourteen ninety and his death having probably taken place in fourteen ninety one or fourteen ninety two before he died he saw the admirable art which he had introduced into his native country already firmly established there and the practice of it extensively diffused theodore rood john latal william macalina and wickham de word foreigners and thomas hunt and englishmen all printed in london both before and after caxton's death it is probable that the foreigners had been his assistants and were brought into the country by him a press was also set up at st albans by a schoolmaster of that place whose name has not been preserved and books began to be printed at oxford so early as the year fourteen seventy eight it would even appear that before the end of this period some exportation of the productions of the english press had commenced at the end of a latin translation of the epistles of phalaris printed at oxford in fourteen eighty five is a latin couplet boasting that the english who had been wont to be indebted for books to the venetians now sold books themselves to other nations an enumeration of the principal works printed by caxton will present the best view that can be given of the popular literature of the time for of course he employed his press in the multiplication and his pen in the translation of the kind of books most in request among the reading portion of his countrymen the predominant spirit of the age was still a mixture of devotion and romance the clergy and the nobility were also at once the best educated and the wealthiest classes accordingly the religious books and the romances form the two largest divisions in the list the former comprises the pilgrimage of the soul from the french liber festivalis or directions for keeping feasts all the year quartuar sermonis or four sermons in english the golden legend a collection of lives of the saints three editions the art and craft to know well to die from the french infantia salvatoris the infancy of our saviour the life of saint catherine of sens speculum vitae christi or mirror of the blessed life of jesu christ directorium sacerdotum a directory of church worship a book of divers ghostly matters the life of st winifred the provincial constitution of bishop linwood of st asaph in latin the profitable book of man's soul called the chastening of god's children and one or two others several of these such as the lives of the saints might come almost equally under the title of books of romance the works more properly relating to romance and chivalry however are the following the history of troy already mentioned which caxton at least translated if he did not print it the book of the whole life of jason godfrey of boulogne the knight of the tower from the french the book of the order of chivalry or knighthood from the french the book royal or the book for a king a book of the noble histories of king arthur and of certain of his knights the history of the noble right valiant and right worthy knight paris and of the fair vienne the book of feats of arms and of chivalry from the french of christina of pisa and the history of king blanchardine and queen eglantine his wife to these may be added the history of renard the fox translated by caxton from the german and the subtle histories and fables of aesop from the french in english poetry there are the following works of chaucer gower and lydgate of the first the tales of canterbury two editions the book of fame troilus and cressida and some minor poems of the second the confessio amantis that is to say in english the confession of the lover of the third the work or court of sapiens the life of our lady and some minor poems along with those of chaucer and here we may take note of the honourable conscientiousness of our first english printer so worthy of his high vocation as the leader in the great enterprise of giving at once universal diffusion and an imperishable existence to the literature of his country the manuscript from which he had printed his first edition of the canterbury tales happened unluckily to quote terwitt's description to be one of the very worst in all respects that he could possibly have met with 
this he himself as he tells us in the preface to a second edition discovered some time afterwards whereupon he did not rest till he had produced this second edition from another much more correct manuscript for to satisfy the author as he expresses it whereas tofore by ignorance i erred in hurting and defaming his book in divers places and setting in some things that he never said nor made and leaving out many things that he made which had been requisite to be set in it none of the ancient latin classes were printed in england during the fifteenth century but the list of the productions of caxton's press contains english translations of cicero's treatises on old age and on friendship of boethius's consolation of philosophy by chaucer of the sayings of the philosophers of virgil's aeneid from the french and of the works called cato magnus and cato parvus also from the french this was by no means a contemptible beginning of the work of transfusing the wisdom and poetry of antiquity into the mother tongue provision was also made for the readers of history though not so plentifully as for those of romance the list contains the following historical and topographical works the chronicles of england the description of britain the polychronicon the life of charles the great twice printed and the siege of the noble and invincible city of rhodes caxton also printed the statutes of the first year of richard the third and those of the first second and third parliaments of henry the seventh among a few other publications of a miscellaneous description the following may be mentioned as relating to morals and the conduct of life the game of chess already noticed the moral proverbs of christina of pisa the book of good manners the doctrinal of sapiens from the french and a book for travellers on the whole the first books that were printed in england were for the most part we see books for the general reader none of them were works of recondite learning or science or adapted to the tastes and studies only of particular classes if they were not all equally edifying they were all as much as possible addressed to the great body of the reading public the only audience that was then sufficiently numerous to call into profitable exercise the multiplying powers of the press books and libraries it follows that it was only books of a certain description the price of which was at first reduced by the new invention for a considerable time after the art of printing came into use we find the price of many books still as excessive as ever and the same anxious precautions taken for their security that had been usual when the only mode of multiplying a volume was by its repeated transcription in fourteen seventy one for example when louis the eleventh of france wished to borrow from the faculty of medicine at paris a copy of the works of the arabian physician rossus that he might have a transcript made for his own library the faculty in a formal letter took credit for extraordinary loyalty in assenting to the application and after all would not let the king have the book until he had not only deposited and pledged for it a considerable quantity of valuable plate but procured a nobleman to join with him as surety in a deed by which he bound himself to return it uninjured under a considerable forfeiture on a manuscript of matthew paris now in the british museum there is an inscription in latin dated first june fourteen eighty eight in the handwriting and with the signature of john russell then bishop of lincoln in which whosoever shall obliterate or destroy the bishop's memorandum respecting the ownership of the volume is solemnly declared to be accursed at this time by far the greater number of books were still unprinted and every considerable library consisted chiefly of manuscripts just as it did before the invention of the art of printing warden has collected the following facts respecting the libraries of the fifteenth century and the inconveniences and impediments to study which must have been produced by the scarcity of books the famous library established in the university of oxford by that munificent patron of literature humphrey duke of gloucester contained only six hundred volumes it was opened in the year fourteen eighty about the commencement of the fourteenth century there were only four classics in the royal library at paris these were one copy of cicero ovid lucan and boethius 
the rest were chiefly books of devotion which included but few of the fathers many treatises of astrology geomancy chiromancy and medicine originally written in arabic and translated into latin or french pandects chronicles and romances the whole consisted of nine hundred volumes they were deposited in three chambers in the louvre which on this occasion were wainscoted with irish oak and sealed with cypress curiously carved the windows were of painted glass fenced with iron bars and copper wire the english became masters of paris in the year fourteen twenty five on which event the duke of bedford regent of france sent this whole library then consisting of only eight hundred and fifty three volumes and valued at two thousand two hundred and twenty three livres into england where perhaps they became the groundwork of duke humphrey's library just mentioned in another place the same writer furnishes the following additional information respecting duke humphrey and his munificence as a book collector about the year fourteen forty he gave to the university of oxford a library containing six hundred volumes only one hundred and twenty of which were valued at one thousand pounds they were the most splendid and costly copies that could be procured finely written on vellum and elegantly embellished with miniatures and illuminations among the rest was a translation into french of ovid's metamorphoses only a single specimen of these valuable volumes was suffered to remain he is a beautiful manuscript in folio of valerius maximus enriched with the most elegant decorations and written in duke humphrey's age evidently with a design of being placed in this sumptuous collection all the rest of the books which like this being highly ornamented looked like missiles and conveyed ideas of popish superstition were destroyed or removed by the pious visitors of the university in the reign of edward the sixth whose zeal was equalled only by their ignorance or perhaps by their avarice several of the volumes of duke humphrey's library however still remain in various collections in the library of oriel college oxford is a copy of john capgrave's commentary on genesis in the author's handwriting preceded by a dedication to the duke the beautifully illuminated initial letter of which represents capgrave humbly presenting his book to his patron the volume contains also an entry in french in the handwriting of the duke recording it to have been presented to him in the year fourteen thirty eight wharton goes on to state that the patronage of duke humphrey was not confined to english scholars many of the most celebrated writers of france and italy solicited his favour and shared his bounty he also employed several learned foreigners in transcribing and in making translations of greek works into latin the only literary production which has been ascribed to this distinguished patron of letters is a small tract on astronomy and it appears to have been only compiled at his instance after tables which he had constructed in the library of gresham college however there is a scheme of astronomical calculations which bears his name astronomy says wharton was then a favourite science nor is it to be doubted that he was intimately acquainted with the polite branches of knowledge which now began to acquire estimation and which his liberal and judicious attention greatly contributed to restore End of section thirty four